Futures Radio Show, sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now... Here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for this episode with Waken Dung. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and YouTube. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Before I play today's interview for you, I want to give a shout out to the great sponsors of Futures Radio Show. CME Group, Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn more about these sponsors and the important things they are doing for futures traders, be sure to click on their logos on futuresradioshow.com. Today, I spoke with co-CIO, CRO of Buckingham Global Advisors, Wei Kin Dong. We discussed the five components of her systematic trend-following strategy. Macro, Fed policy, trend, sentiment, and market turbulence. Last but not least, we chatted in detail on how she executes her e-mini S&P systematic trend-following strategy. So without further ado, let me take you right to the show with Wei Kin. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Currently, I work as a co-CIO and CIO for Buckingham Global Advisors. Um, originally, I came from China 27 years ago after I graduated from um college. I came here with a scholarship to pursue my uh, master's degree. Upon I graduated uh, from school, I started working for Motorola. While I was working at Motorola, at that time there was tech bubble. I started um, you know, buying some stocks, but I didn't have a lot of knowledge in, in the financial market, so I would just buy what's hardest stock at that time. And then you know, when the uh, bubble crashed, um, I lost a lot of money. I mean, so I was thinking to myself that must be a better way to investment. So that's why I decided to pursue an MBA degree in New York, Chicago. Um, then, you know, after I graduated from New York, Chicago, I, um, I started working for a boutique home fund that manages uh, a pension fund for CalPERS and the other biggest public pension fund. Then, you know, because Calpers was our well, most the biggest client. They decided to withdraw the money when they had to restructure. So we uh, we had a closed shop. Then uh, that's where I started uh, building my own trading strategy. Um, that's how um, you know my my future strategy started um, uh, was born. We're going to definitely talk a little bit about your strategy today. Uh, but let's just begin with why futures. Why did you decide to take the futures route? Okay, actually, I mean, I you know I've been doing more on the uh, stock side, uh, equity side. Uh, in the beginning, when I uh, start working for the boutique quant fund, um, then I developed a strategy. Uh, I start trading with ETF, you know, a spider. 
then a couple um three years ago, you know, I'm Charles, you know, the the C uh, the other CIO of the firm, and I bumped into each other. Actually, we were classmates from Chicago, so over ten years ago. Um, he said, you know, your strategy will work very well for uh, with Imini, uh, because the way I trade, then you know, that's how I started doing uh, with Imini. Okay, so a friend saw that you the way that your strategy was working for stocks and said, you know what, maybe it will work just as well with with, with the future, specifically the E-mini S&P. So talk to us a little bit about your strategy. Okay, my strategy is a 100% systematic um, just 100% systematic uh, trend following model. But I don't just look at the market trend. I look at, uh, you know, all the drivers that they can move the market. Um, there are some components, you know, um, you can uh, you can model it, but some other components you cannot. You know, mostly it's like noise, like Trump's tweets. But you know, I for those uh, components, I divide it into five sub components. Uh, one is uh, the macro environment. You know, uh, uh, the macro environment is always the you know one of the bigger driver of the market. And then the other thing is the Fed policy. Um, you know. That's the saying they don't fight the Fed. Uh, Fed always rises good for the Wall Street. So that's the component I look into. The other thing, of course, is the trend. Um, the trend is your friend. But other than that, I also look into market sentiment. Um, the model will follow the market sentiment until it come, becomes extreme. Uh, so um, at extreme, this model will become contrarian. And then I also look at the market turbulence. When market is turmoil, then the market tend to underperform. So all these five components, five factors, will give me a um, signal of minus one and zero and the one. Then I add them together, equal weighted. Then at the end of the day, I will see what the sum is. Then I, you know, the model will decide to long or short uh, or stay in cash. Okay, so let's let's dig in a little bit deeper here. Um, there's five components. So first of all, your systematic trend following—that's what how you would define your strategy. Now, is this is this automated, or are you going in and manually putting these orders in? Trading wise, so so far I'm doing by hand. Okay. But um, the this uh, the signal generation is out automated. Um, so each day. And before the close, before the market close, um, my program will kick off and we are generate a signal for me to trade. Let's start off with the five components and let's talk about each one of them individually. You said the first one was macro. Explain to us a little bit about what you're, what you're looking at. And I think that you said it would be like a plus one or a zero or a negative one. Uh, maybe just clarify that for us. I think uh, you know, what would determine in your model bullish, neutral, or, or bearish. So talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, you know, yeah, I've, I've looked at the macro in, uh, environments like inflation. Usually when the high inflation environment, the market tends to underperform. So that's something I would look into. It. And then, you know, under the macro environment, okay, let me step back. On the macro environment factor, there are uh, other factors like inflation. So when I look at the inflation, I say, okay, how would the inflation impact um, the stock market? 
And then, you know, then I look at the other components, like industrial production, all this stuff. So there are like five to seven component, uh, five to seven um, individual macro factors I look into. And then under that, um, then I will also sum them together and form a, uh, based on that sum, I form a signal of plus one, zero, and minus one. So currently we're recording November 21st. What do you have the E-mini S&P right now for the micro or for the macro? The macro is positive. So it's, it's plus positive. one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next, you said the next component was Fed policy. So yes. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing there. Yeah. The Fed policy actually, you know, uh, for last year when the Fed was tightening, my uh, Fed model turned negative uh, in August last year, 2018, and then turned back uh, positive middle of uh, December, 2018. And this year, because the Fed is, you know, uh, it's not, they're doing QE, even though they don't want to call it a QE. I mean, at least, you know, Fed is calling interest rate, um, the Fed model has become positive. Uh, if you look at the, over the last 10 uh, years, since, uh, you know, financial crisis, uh, the Fed model has not turned negative for a long, long time, other than last year. Last year is the only time that it turned negative in the last 10 years. Uh, of course, it turned negative based on my back testing uh, was negative during the financial crisis. Uh, Fed turned to you know affect the market very much. Um, I think the bull market for the last 10 years is driven by the uh, Fed policy. And currently, right now, for the E-mini S&P, you have Fed policy as a plus one as well, so bullish, correct? Yes. yes. All right, the third component, trend. Yeah, the trend, you know, I mean, it's your typical trend uh, thing. You know, I look at the uh, breadth and depth of the market. In market. Uh, you know, if the market is going up, but it's only uh, driven by a few, comp- uh, few big stocks, you know, then the breadth will, that impact, it will not turn positive. Um, and also, I look the international as well. So right now, you know, the the trend model, of course, is positive because we have been going up um, nonstop since uh, early October. Identifying the trend is for you. Is it just higher highs, higher lows? Are you using some sort of tools? You know, maybe just as basic as a trend line. What determines for you, I know it seems like a very simple question, but, you know, that whether or not we're in an uptrend, a bullish trend, or a bearish trend? Um, actually, it's a great question. I mean, trend is as simple as just, you know, look at the line, it's going up. I mean, I look at the, I don't look high, high, low, low of like that technical stuff, but I do look at the, you know, moving average, you know, if, um, 50-day moving average and 20-day moving average. And also, I look at the market new high and new lows. You know, are we keeping making new highs? I mean, are the uh, internal components making new highs, uh, new lows? I mean, um, and also, I look at uh, um, how many international markets are in the uptrend. You know, they are above 20-day moving average, something like that. So it's a tricky component because... um, you, you know, sometimes, uh, like last year uh, in December, 
uh, even fourth quarter, you know, the market was going down. You can call like downtrend, but if you look at the longer term, the market's still in uptrend. So it's tough. So how you defined um, the trend, how long time frame is, is important. Yeah, one thing I want to ask you about when you mentioned that you said you're looking at the 20-day or the 50-day moving averages, I'm just curious, are you looking to see if the E-mini is sustaining above them, uh, or are you looking to see if those averages are continuing to move higher? Because, you know, we could be trending higher and maybe just, you know, getting back above and below the 20 and 50-day moving averages quite often, but the trend could still be up. So I'm just wondering, like, like, how would you interpret that when you're looking at those moving averages? I look at the, you know, if 50, 50 days is below uh, 200 days. If it's 50 day move below 200 days, I, I think at least for that component, I think it is negative. But that's the only, not only thing I look at. You know, I look at as if the market uh, internal component keeps making new highs or new lows, you know, the more new highs or new lows. And also um, I look at the breadth, like, um, so if the market um, has been going up too much and it's coming down, um, then you know then the trend could be um, going to negative. But you know there are so many components. In, there are seven components in there. So each component has its own uh, score of minus one and zero and plus one. So at the end of the day, they you know each component has its own impact, even though maybe 50 days move below 200 days and the other components, they, you know, they're uptrend. So the, the trend components still could be positive. I got you. So what you're saying is, is that when you're looking at the trend, you have multiple components in there that are determining a plus one, zero or a negative one. And then, for example, if five are positive and one is neutral and one is negative, it's still positive. You know, or yes. it, it depends on how many are positive versus how many are neutral or negative to determine the trend. Yes. Next thing I want to talk about is sentiment. Well, I mean, you know, um, they say trend is your friend, but then when trend becomes too extreme, um, then usually uh, pays to take take the contrarian position. Uh, even right now, um, you know, from the components I'm looking at, the market is overbought. Um, so my sentiment signal is actually uh, is negative right now. Um, so I looked at, you know, um, weeks and skewed uh, ratios and uh, also uh, looked at, uh, you know, how many um, stocks are advancing and declining. So that gave me um, a measure of sentiment. Uh, then, you know, if, um, they go too high, I mean, uh, not too high, too extreme. Um, like um, right now, I think the market is overbought. And then, you know, like in December last year, then, you know, this is oversold. You know, that time the market, the sentiment signal was actually positive. And then right now, you know, even the market keeps making higher high, um, then my sentiment is negative. What tool do you use to determine whether or not a market is overbought or oversold? Well, I mean, as I mentioned, I look, you know, so into Wix, but I don't look at Wix absolute level. I compare Wix with previous, you know, um, six months ago, three months ago. Um, then I also look at the Wix and skills ratio. 
Um, then I also look at how many for New York Stock Exchange stocks, how many um, are advancing and declines or advanced decline lines um, for both issues and um, volume. So that's what I look at. Thanks for sharing that. Now, the fifth component of your strategy is market turbulence. Turbulence is something I came up. Uh, turbulence is when I look at market turmoil. Um, usually, when the market is in um, a lot of turmoil, the market tend to underperform. Like last December, uh, the, the turbulence model was negative a lot of time or, or neutral. Um, so this component actually um, changes frequently. So um, now today could be negative, tomorrow could be positive. Just depends on um, the market environment. Um, what I measure is, you know, I measure the correlation uh, relationship between different assets and different uh, sectors just to see, uh, you know, if there's any change or not. I definitely understand this component, but. Can you just give us just a little bit more detail on what you're looking at when you're determining market turmoil, market turbulence? If you think of what the other four components, I, you know, I don't have a component to see. I mean, I have weak, I mean, I have sentiment, but sentiment, you know, the way I do it is contrarian. But, you know, if the market like last December, even though, um, you know, my Fed, component was negative, but I don't have a, anything to measure how uh, how violent the market was, you know. So that, the turbulence component, it was just for me to measure if the market is moving violently or not. Um, and the turn, when that happens, usually, the um, you know, my turbulence component will pick up that and, uh, you know, it will the signal will change to neutral or negative. How do you measure the turbulence? Well, I looked at the correlation and uh, uh, dispersion of different uh, asset class. So, if it's correlation, if the relationship changed from uh, to, you know from the historically, then um, you know I think the uh, this market is in turmoil. And right now, what do you have it for the E mini S and P? Right now, it's positive. So it's positive. for like uh, to summarize, uh, what I have the five components right now, um, only sentiment is negative. Um, that everything else is positive. So I have a three score, you know, score three because you know I have four plus and one neg- one minus one, so then adds up to three, which still tells me to long the market. Yeah, so sentiment's negative one just because you think it's overbought. Yeah. And now I want to talk about execution. So I think everybody understands your process. And really, mm-hmm. it's well thought out. I mean, you're going through a lot. And like you said, all of this is this is all automated for you to where you get those scores, correct? You punched yeah. everything in. All right, and it tells you what they are. Now, before we start talking about the execution of it, is this, this is updating every day, yeah. right? Okay, so every morning yeah. you come in and you look to see what it's telling you, what your score is. No, actually, every uh, I, I tried at close, so every at the close, close um, the, the 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 program will kick off at like three fifty-five Eastern time. They kick off and give me a signal 
so then I can trade. But of course, uh, during the day, I will run the run the program just to make sure you know, everything's okay. You know, I have don't have data issues. You know, sometimes Bloomberg can you know, can give me funky data um, or something else. So um, um, you know, and then I also get a sense where the market is. And remember, my signal is that um, the three fifty five one is the final signal. I based on that to trade. Hey everybody, I want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index futures, contract symbol RTY. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. A couple of questions before I get into how you're trading the E-mini S&P specifically with, with this current score, because I want to talk about that. But just so I know, in this particular instance, we have a plus three. So that's just bullish. That, that just means that you're going to be looking to get long, right? Yeah. What is the score to where you'd be neutral, flat, and then also what is the score to where then you would start looking to get short? Okay, so, um, so plus equals three, um, I usually, uh, it's long. And if it's two, uh, then it's cash. If it's one or below, it's uh, short. Because the way I build the model has a little bit long bias. That's why the scores like tend to be a little bit higher than, you know, it's like uh, cash at zero. I get it. It's because you built the model specifically for the E-mini S&P. And because the S&P goes up more than it goes down uh, over time, uh, at least for now, <laughs> um, that is why your number system is the way it is. Yeah, I mean, okay, when I build a model, what I, you know, my assumptions, I'm going too long until I find something to, sh- to have reason to short. So, because, you know, historically, the market has been a bullish um, so that the model build has a level bias t- towards the long. Um, but, you know, um, so if you, the market, like the bullish time, uh, the market, so I'm more behavior long, um, I, I'm long more than short. But if you look at the uh, back test, um, even like I, I short whole month of last October, uh, you know, so that month I was sh- short. And if you look at the back test, um, for 2008, uh, between uh, 2001 and 2003, the you know I, was, I spent more time shorting than long. All right. Well, let's talk about execution now. And you said that right now. I asked you this earlier that you're you're putting the orders in manually. The the strategy yes. is systematic, and it's automated to to give you your signal. But you put the orders in manually. Yes. So you have a score of plus three. Talk yeah. to us about how you approach executing this now. And, and let's let's take it from the very basics of are you just using futures? Are you using options? You know, talk to us about the process for entry and then how you would determine a stop. So take us through all of that. Okay. So, um, you know, I only trade E-mini SP 500. So let's say today's score is three. So I have to long, but if yesterday I was long, then I do nothing. If yesterday I was cash, I would buy. 
if ESA was negative, it was short, and then we'll buy bad, the short, and buy long. So that's how I trade. I don't use options. Um, the stop loss, you know, um, I have a soft stop loss. Um, just when the, you know, if uh, the, I lose more than 5% in a month, then I will go have position for the rest of the month. So that way I can just control the loss. Um, historically, uh, for the back testing, even for the real time, uh, my maximum drawdown is 15%. Um, if you look at SP500 during the 2008, it was 57%. Uh, 2001, 2003 was 47%. Uh, but my back testing and the real time trading is 15%. So just so I'm clear, so if you have the plus three, it's bullish on the close. Are you buying right away then? I mean, talk to us about when you're getting in. Are you buying before the market closes? Like you said, I think 355 Eastern is when you're getting your signal or are you waiting for the next day to buy in the open or sell? How does that work? I buy at the close. You buy so right on the close? The yeah. And is there ever a time where you're adding to these positions or is it all in all at once? I have a, you know, I went that long. Um, there are two positions. One's uh, 100% long, one's 50% long. Um, then when I short, it's only 50%. Um, that's, you know, the reason I only short 50% is, uh, you know, I, I think the market has the inheritance of going up, inheritance going up. So you uh, turn to be wrong more than shorting than long. Um, that's just my view. Um, so let me explain to you the two positions uh, of the long side. Um, so I, I explained to you, say, you know, when the signal is great or um, equal to three, uh, I long. Uh, but if, you know, if everything else is one, but turbulence is minus one, I go 50%. Just because turbulence um, can catch um, the you know, different things at different times. Even though everything else looks great, but if turbulence it's it's negative one, it can catch the um it can catch the market go down and when other components cannot. So that's why I gave a little bit more weight to turbulence. When it is negative, everything else is positive. Understood. So it's going to be depending not only on the score, but it's also dependent on which score is which, right? So there's some discretion to it, right? Because the turbulence, if that's a negative one, like you said, and everything else was positive, you would probably be in a 50% position because slippage basically, right? I mean, you might get stopped out or might lose and ultimately still be right. So you just, you take yes. your risk down. Yes. But I mean, that's, you know, I do that consistently. I don't just say because today, Minus uh, turbulence minus one, I'm going to take fifty percent. I just do it consistently. I, you know, I don't override the model. I mean, I overrode the model a couple of times. Um, let me just backtrack. <laughs> I overrode the model when I was trading with SPY in 2016. I overrode twice. Once the uh, um, uh, election, on the election day, before the election day, my signal was still long, so I took the um, top half just because I think uh, that's a very binary event that cut the position half. Um, that didn't save me any money. 
just you know um the market went back tomorrow uh, the second day um and also I took half position at uh Brexit uh that you know helped me save one or two percent there's only two times since I live tried my portfolio uh, that I had a discussion to cut position and that's just experience. I mean, you you know that there's things going on in the world where you're you're saying this thing could, this system doesn't see what you're seeing with all the things happening, like specifically at Brexit or the election or or things like that. Yeah, I mean it's a binary event. You know, I mean yeah. the model can be able to tell that's you know, and the, this uh, market moving um, is a big market moving event. That's why I took this question to cut down position. Few, but other times I don't. A few more questions before we get into rapid fire. First, your stop is not a price stop. You're not you're not saying I'm wrong if the market hits X price. When you buy or sell, you put a percentage of risk up into that trade. And if that gets stopped out, it's because of that, not because of a specific price or something that, that would trigger that you no longer want to be in that trade. Am I Am I right on that? Yes, I, I don't do a uh, stop loss. I mean, uh, usually that, you know, stop loss, usually you just stop at the uh, worst time. And uh, the other thing is, you know, I mean, because the way my system is built, um, I know my maximum drawdown is, and I convey that to my clients. I think, you know, if I my uh, live trading doesn't exceed my backtesting drawdown, I think that's still within parameter. I don't think I need to do anything, even though you know, the market could move against me, against you know the model, how, however, how, however well I designed it, and they can still be wrong. So, but um, within that set, I think um, at times the market can go against me very badly. So that's why I put a soft stop. If I lose 5% for the month, then I just go half for the rest of the month. Understood. Uh, what about getting out? We didn't talk about any targets. Is it just you wait for the signal to change to a negative or a neutral if you're long or if you've gotten X amount uh, that you've made in the trade? I guess I'm just wondering, how do you eventually exit? Uh, yeah, I, it's all based on the signal. I don't based on how much I've made. So if the signal's positive... And you bought, let's just say, hypothetically, you bought today, and mm -hmm. it stays positive for three months. You you hold it for three months. It goes neutral in two days. You get flat. I I go cash. You go so, cash. Yes, yeah. So um, you know, I went live. I think that the the longest I haven't tried maybe it's a couple months, not a couple months, maybe a month. You know, I didn't try it for anything, but um, the shortest holding period is a day. You know, I could long today and go cash tomorrow or go short, you know, that depends. I don't have a target say, you know, when I enter this trade, I'm going to stay for X amount of time. It's all based on the signal. So I could trade very frequently every day. If the market goes, uh, you know, if the signal indicates so, or I could stay as long as six months, this is the back testing shows that I didn't trade anything for six months. How long have you been running this model for clients? Um, I start, as I mentioned earlier, I started trading with SPY at 2013 uh, with my own money. 
Then uh, a 2014, I has my first client. And then, you know, I started trading for with futures at 2017. And what have your returns been since 17? Since 17, uh, I think annualized returns about 10%, maybe slightly lower than 10%. Okay, so roughly 10%. And what is the minimum investment that you're requiring for uh, investors or traders to put in uh, with you? Um, I right now ask 400000 um for minimum investment, but... Um, you know, we could have a discussion, you know, we can go down to 200K. Uh, the reason is, you know, just because um, when I short, I short half. So I need enough capital to have a half position to take E-mini. Uh, E-mini right now is, um, the notion is about 150K. And with that 400,000, how many contracts would they be trading? Uh, as a long, before four contracts, short would be two contracts. Fantastic insight today, but we are not done yet. I have some rapid-fire questions next if you're ready for those. Okay, sure. Thank you. All right, everybody, and now for our rapid-fire segment sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You can try it now for free at tryttnow.com. Waykin. First question for you, what trader has influenced your life the most and why? Well, I wouldn't say uh, a trader influenced me most. I think it's my education for New York Chicago. Um, you know, their punk strategy approach and my um, engineering background, I think, um, make a good combination for me. Uh, the style just fits me well. What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in trading? I think control uh, the emotion, um, especially when the market moves against your position. Um, I think that's the most important thing and the hardest thing to do for any trader. How has your trading process evolved over the years? Um, I talked about a little bit about my, um, you know, my model. Over the years, I have fine-tuned the model, uh, but the main structure hasn't changed much. And I will continue to go uh, with each um, fine-tune the model and, uh, you know, as new things come up and new ideas come up. What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have? Know your risk. Know, you know, when the market moves against you, how much you can lose um, and uh, how you can bounce back. Favorite book about trading? Um, I, there's no one book. You know, I think it's, as I said, the education I have and also reading different people's view, uh, you know, and also verify the people's view. If someone say market's going to go down, I would see how they you know what's the reasoning, and uh, if I can verify it. If you had to pick a profession other than trading, what would it be? I would love to educate uh, people about uh, investment, uh, not just trading. I have a lot of friends that are very successful with their career, but they have no idea how to invest their money. So if I could get that to people, that'd be great. What's the best piece of advice that you received about trading? Um, my old boss used to tell me um, that return is what you can eat, but what it is, is gonna, what kills you. 
So it's important to build a good return strategy, but volatility is as important, if not more important. If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, follow your passion. Don't just uh, follow what's hardest at the moment. If you had an elevator pitch me your edge in trading, what would you say? I'd say, you know, I my background, uh, my unique background of software engineer and my quant training from Chicago uh, gave me an edge. Uh, you know, I, I wrote every single line of my code, so I now inside out my strategy. And also my strategy has been backtest uh, for over 20 years. It went through, you know, backtest over the last two bad markets. Last question for today. Favorite thing to do when you're not trading? Uh, I run and I do kickboxing. Actually, I finished a marathon, half marathon a couple of years ago. And also, you know, I love being a mom with two teenagers. Nice. I love to run too. Do you feel that when you're running, it's just like that time where really nothing else matters. You're just focusing on your run, your breath and everything. And, and it, to me, it's one of my favorite things to do when I'm not trading as well. Yeah. I mean, you just not relieve stress and, you know, just one foot ahead of another, just try to, you know, run and get the fresh air and everything. It's just so great. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I know a lot of traders that, uh, that running is one of their favorite things to do when they're not trading as well. Now, Waken, I know that you're not on Twitter, why aren't you on Twitter? No social media. Um, I have actually. I have. I'm on Chinese WeChat. Um, that's every you know, uh, every Chinese on that. I you know, I maybe I'm a more private person. Um, I keep my view to myself a lot of time. Um, so I don't have a lot to say. But if you know, everyone won't ask me anything, I'd be more open to talk one on one. I hear that. Where can people find you and learn more about you then? Maybe give us a website to check out. Yeah, you can go to our website, uh, buckinghamga.com. Um, you, know, you can find all information or you can always reach out to me at, with my email, wdong at buckinghamga.com. Wait, what can I say? This was so much fun. Fantastic insight. Thank you so much for joining me on Futures Radio Show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It has been a great time. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you have any questions or comments for myself or my guests, please visit futuresradioshow.com and sign up to be a premium member for free. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes.